the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. to change your attitude change your life's conversations with joan i'm joan herman thanks for tuning in conversations with joan focuses on topics that are important to your life from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being change makers join me to share their insights tips and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now thank you for taking time for yourself and thank you for letting us be a part of your life now let's start talking New discoveries in biology and neuroscience reveal how the words we think and speak can change the way the neurons in our brains and hearts connect. According to today's guest, Greg Braden, our ancestors understood this connection and they created specific word patterns to provide comfort, healing, and strength. Greg joins us today to talk about how the words that were encoded into prayers, hymns, and sacred writings can impact our lives. Greg is a five-time New York Times bestselling author, scientist, and international educator whose research has led to 15 film credits and 12 award-winning books. He is a recipient of numerous awards and is listed in the Watkins Journal among the top 100 of the world's most spiritually influential living people. He is the author of The Wisdom Codes, Ancient Words to Rewire Our Brains and Heal Our Hearts. Welcome, Greg. Thank you so much for coming back on the show for the fourth time. I always enjoy speaking with you. Well, Joan, thank you for, for bringing me back. I enjoy our conversations as well. I, I realized that we have worked together. I didn't realize it had been four times, so I'm, I'm excited to add to our history today. <laughs> thank well, you and for I, and I warm, love what we're yeah, talking my, about today, Greg, because most people know that words are powerful. But many may not know why. And you say that certain words and phrases can shift our mind and body so that chemically we're not the same person we were before. Can you explain this to our listeners? Sure. Well, you know, we've always known that words are are powerful. And often we we hear this through anecdotal phrases. Uh, In the beginning of the new book, for example, there's, there's a quote from Emily Dickinson, and she says, I know of nothing in the world that has as much power as a word. So that's not science, but it, it conveys the idea. Uh, and directly after that in the book, I, I want to share a quote from a neuroscientist, Andrew Newberg. And what he says is that, and this is a direct quote, he says, a single word has the power to influence the expression of genes that regulates physical and emotional stress. So what he is sharing is the, the new discoveries in the, the field of, of neuroscience that the words that we use can actually upregulate uh, or downregulate the expression of genes in our body for, for health and well-being and stress and longevity, uh, immune response. Well, who doesn't want a strong immune system, you know, in, in a world of, of a pandemic? So this principle now is, is being revealed through the best science of the modern world on the one hand. And on the other hand, as a scientist for over 40 years, I have had the, the privilege of exploring and leading groups into some, oh, Joan, just some of the most ancient and beautiful and pristine uh, and magnificent and isolated and remote places remaining in the world today to study with these people from the, the highlands of central China and Tibet and in Nepal and India, and all through the, the Karo villages in southern the Andes of, of southern Peru, and, and with the shamans in the Yucatan of Mexico, and the Bedouin in Egypt, and all through the American desert southwest, and, and much more. And as different as these traditions are from one another, one of the common themes is that they have always turned to words 
in times of need to give them comfort and to, to find strength in times of need. And my thinking was, if these words and these phrases have worked for so many diverse cultures for over 5,000 years, they're probably going to work for us today. So uh, the book that you're talking about, The Wisdom Codes, was an opportunity for me to, to bring together uh, into a single volume and categorize in, in terms of need. So there's a chapter on loss, and there's a chapter on strength, and there's a chapter on fear. Uh, and to, to draw upon the Sanskrit traditions and the Aramaic traditions and the, the indigenous Native North American and South American traditions uh, and talk about these word codes that were preserved in mantras and prayers and hymns in the Gnostic Christian traditions, for example, and, uh, and through the, the Sanskrit uh, uh, chants that we see so often, to bring those together and describe the meaning offer them in the original native language, and there is an audio of the book where I actually speak uh, those syllables so people can hear those, and, uh, and also to share, share them in the English language so that we can use them in our lives today. So, so this is the opportunity for us to, to embrace a very ancient wisdom that is now borne out by the best science of the modern world uh, to help us deal with a time of extremes. We're learning so much today about neuroscience and epigenetics and the power of what we speak and think. Do you think our ancestors did this intentionally? Did they know what they were creating? And if they did, how did they know this? Well, you know, science, uh, I'm a scientist, um, and I have to say that a lot of what I write now is very different from what I was taught when I, I was in school back in the 1950s, 60s, and early 70s. And what we now know is very different um, from what I was taught at a younger time in my life, on the one hand. And on the other hand, you know, science is designed to be constantly updated. And our job, Joan, is to keep science honest. Mm -hmm. Science is not static. We cannot take something that we knew, you know, 20 years ago and, and say that that is gospel today if the evidence doesn't support it. So science, however, is, is relatively recent. It's only about 300 years old. But we have been on this earth, a civilization, over 5,000 years. So in another way of understanding, through what we call the, the spiritual principles, not necessarily religion, but the, the spiritual principles that teach us about our relationships to our own body and to the, to the earth and to the cosmos, to one another, those principles have been around for a very long time. So our ancestors were less concerned about proving I think, what exists and what doesn't, and more concerned about discovering how to make life better for themselves, their families, and their communities. And this, I, this is the opportunity that we have today. Joan, I believe we owe it to ourselves to draw upon every iota of knowledge without judging where it comes from. If it's 5,000 years old or if it's from the best universities of, uh, you know, of the 21st century, draw upon that knowledge and explore it and what works incorporate it and weave the wisdom of the past with the science of of today into a wisdom that's greater than science can be all by itself science is awesome and it's it's only 300 years old it tells us how things work but it cannot always tell us how to apply it in our lives our ancestors knew how to apply these things in their lives they may not have understood the nuts and bolts of precisely why a word can change a neuron, for example. But when we weave these together, it gives us an evolutionary edge, I believe for the first time in human history, that empowers us to thrive. We don't want to just survive where we are now. We want to thrive and transcend what life has brought to our doorstep. That was the thinking underlying this book, and that is the opportunity, I think, that we have today if we have the wisdom to recognize and embrace the opportunity without judging the, the wisdom of our ancestors. That was a, a long answer to a short question, but do I think they, they understood? They knew that they were better when they used these phrases and these chants. They may not have understood the chemistry, certainly, and in, in the biology and the epigenetics, but they knew that they were better people. And the Navajo, for example, uh, embraced beauty in a way that is more than an aesthetic. They view it as a as the fifth fundamental force of nature. 
So physicists talk about gravity and the electromagnetic force, the strong and weak nuclear force, as, as being the four fundamental forces of nature. The Navajos say there's a fifth, and it is the power of beauty, in that we are changed in the presence of beauty. And, and that's true. So when we see something, we see sculpture or art or sunset or an ocean or a, a person that triggers a very specific kind of feeling within us. That feeling is, is a chemical change. Our, our body is changing. Our chemistry is changing. And sometimes the way that we feel about that change can actually change the genes in our bodies, upregulate for a stronger immune response, for example, or or to release longevity enzymes for regeneration and rejuvenation. So, so I don't think they understood the science necessarily, but they definitely understood the, the relationship uh, that we have with ourselves and, and with one another and the world around us. They had this wisdom, and, and we all do, but we just let so much of the world get in. You know, and I think this is a, a great reminder of the intelligence we have within ourselves. Well, Joe, I agree. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, a lot of this comes from conditioning. Uh, we, we have a generation behind us now where we've been conditioned to view, and there's a thinking by many people that that carbon-based life is flawed in general and that humans specifically are weak and powerless uh, and that we need something outside of us to thrive in life and to achieve our greatest potential. We need technology. That's, that is what has been taught to an entire generation on the one hand. Now, on the other hand, the best science of the modern world has revealed a way of thinking about the human body that is just a mind blower, absolutely a mind blower. What they tell us is the average human body, what, you know, whatever average is, the average human body has about 50 trillion or so cells. That's agreed upon. Every one of those cells, Joan, has an electrical potential, 0 0.07 volts. Now, it's a, it's a small voltage, but you do the math, 0 0.07 volts times 50 trillion cells, and, and now we're talking about 3.5 trillion volts of electrical potential in the human body that can be harnessed and directed for healing or uh, regeneration or rejuvenation it doesn't stop there because every one of those cells is now documented with the ability that the cells function electrically as transistors, just like we have in our computers and our phones, and resistors and capacitors. Every cell in our body absorbs the light, photons of light. That light is information to our cells, and we emit light. We can measure the light coming off of a human body. Every cell in our body uh, the good thing, I guess, if there is a good thing to come out of the pandemic, is we all know about human cells now, and everybody knows that the cells outside the body have, uh, have receptors. They're little antenna, chemical receptors, but they also are energetic receptors, Inter, uh, energetic receptors for electromagnetic information, for light. Every cell in our body stores and retrieves information, memory. Every cell in our body has a memory. Every cell in our body is a gated circuit. It goes on and on. When we begin to look at this, Joan, what we discover is that we are literally a soft technology is what it's being called. That our bodies, it's not about computer chips and wires and chemicals. It's about neurons and cell membranes and crystalline bone. And that we are the only form of life known to exist with the ability to self-regulate our own biology. No other form on demand, consciously, we're the only form of life that can sit down a moment in time and say, in this moment, I choose to strengthen my immune response. You know, who doesn't want that in, in a, a global pandemic? We're, we're the only form of life that can consciously access deep states of intuition to solve problems or to help us uh, listen in, uh, in difficult relationships or difficult conversations in the boardroom. This is what bridges the past and the present. We self-regulate through thought, feeling, emotion, belief, breath, and focus. Breath regulating the nervous system, the vagus nerve, and, and things like that. So all of a sudden, we begin to see our ancestors, they were using thought, feeling, emotion, belief, breath, and focus but now we understand the implications and how that's, how that's actually helping us through what you mentioned earlier, through epi epigenetic changes. Epigenetic changes are changes in the environment 
that access our biology, well, that environment could be the world around us, could be nutrition, it could be supplements, but one of the most powerful environments that we all have available to us, Joan, is our inner environment, the environment that we create through our choice of emotions and the words that we use to express those emotions in the, in, in the world around us. And those are the words that were preserved in the Aramaic and the Sanskrit and the, the ancient Hebrew and uh, all through the, the native traditions. And, and it was very healing for me to draw upon my 40 years of experience in these traditions and to, to call all of these into categories. And I, I should have called it Wisdom Codes Volume 1 because there were so right. many. <laughs> I, had, I had to choose which ones to, to, uh, to bring to, to the reader. So that is, is a little bit of the thinking and the science underlying uh, why I think this book is it's very timely. And um, I, just on a, I'll just say on a personal note, I lost my mom to COVID uh, earlier this year. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. By, well, thank you. And, and unfortunately, many people are sharing the same story. But it was Mother's Day. It was the first Mother's Day uh, without my mom in the world. And as an author, I, turned, I actually turned to my own book, <laughs> right. to my own book on... Um, on the wisdom codes and inner strength and the the Navajo prayer of beauty uh, to give me strength through the day, the the Navajo beauty prayer. uh, It's a a lengthy prayer in its full form. The abbreviated form is very simple. It's three lines. The beauty that I live with, the beauty that I live by, the beauty upon which I base my life. What this prayer means, the beauty I live with, it means beauty already exists in the world around us. We don't have to seek it, or we don't have to create it. Our job is is to seek it out, to recognize it. The beauty I live by is the invitation to allow beauty to become uh, a force in our lives uh, around which we recognize the, the events that are presented to us, whether it's loss of a loved one or a difficult conversation in a boardroom or, or with a you know with a partner in a relationship the beauty upon which i base my life is, is powerful because it it invites us to embrace beauty as a foundational principle within our lives rather than simply an aesthetic when we look at something we say oh you know that's beautiful you know what's next it invites us to uh, allow beauty to become this powerful force in our lives. And this is, uh, this is from the Navajo traditions. This is one of their word codes that has worked for them for a very long time. And I have to say it, uh, it works. I, I say it almost every day, at least once a day, out loud or often to myself. And, th- you know, this is one of the things when I was researching the book, Joan, that it was so interesting. Scientists tell us that the average person speaks to themselves. We say things to ourselves in our mind between 60 and 80,000 times every 24-hour period. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what we're saying, it's repetition. We're saying the same thing again and again and again. So th- the question is, what are we saying to ourselves about our experience, about the world around us? And the word codes help us to redefine what we're saying very powerful ways, and as Andrew Newberg and other scientists are saying now, those words actually begin to entrain neurons in the brain, and now we know that neurons exist in the heart. So neurons in the heart and the brain, we begin to entrain them, and we've all heard the phrase, they wire and fire together in new neural patterns that help us to solve our problems, think about the world, and interpret our lives in, in healthy ways. And Ultimately, I think that's, you know, the science is good. The beauty is we don't have to know the science. For people that like to know why the choices they make are powerful in their lives, the science is certainly there. And I've given all the references in in this little book. I moved all the references to the back so people don't have to read them if they don't want them. But um, but the the science is giving us very new, very different, uh, and very empowering ways to think about ourselves in the presence of, of a world we've never seen before. And I, think, I can't think of anything more exciting, and I think it's a very powerful, powerful opportunity to embrace the deep truth of who we are and our relationship to ourselves and, and the world and then uh, find ways to you know, make life better for ourselves and 
hopefully, you know, Joan, the ultimately it, it's about becoming the best versions of ourselves and creating the best possible world. And, and I think that's, that's where all this is, is leading us. Well, and what you're teaching, it is so important because you've used the word powerful and you're right, because coming off of the year that we've just had and, and a loss like you've experienced, and again, I'm sorry, and, and what so many other people have experienced, you know, we've, we've spent so much time living in fear, but what you're teaching really gives us power over our lives and to take control of our ability to heal. It, it does, Joan, and there's a very simple reason for that. And, and the bottom line is the better we know ourselves, the better we know ourselves, the less we fear change in the world. And this is very important because we're conditioned to hinge our sense of well-being on the world around us, on our external world. So, you know, in a world where, you know, uh, politics are good and stock market's good and the kids are good and the schools are good and the job is good, everything's good. But when those things begin to, to move, when they begin to change a little bit, if our well-being is determined by those external factors and, and they change and we don't know what's going to happen, that can be scary. And for many people, that's where they find themselves today. But when we shift our sense of well-being from the outer world to our inner knowing of just what powerful beings we are and that we have the ability to self-regulate our, our extraordinary potential, it frees us it's a very different way of thinking to kind of just sit back and let the world go through its changes. You know, the world's going to do what it's going to do, but we are, we're good. It's kind of like being in the eye of the storm is, is what many people tell me. So they, they feel from this. So the better we know ourselves, the less we fear change in the world, the better we know ourselves, the less we fear one another. And I think perhaps the most important, Joan, the better we know ourselves, the less we fear our own power. And I think everyone from the time they're kids all sense that there are untapped potentials within us. And when we really begin to think about what those potentials are, for some people it's actually frightening. But, I, I, you know, I think this is one of the reasons young people are so drawn to, to movies like, you know, Wonder Woman and The Avengers and Harry Potter and things like that. Not that those movies are 100% accurate, but the theme is that they are reminding us that there is an untapped potential within us that we somehow remember in, in a, a primal way. And, uh, and the, the reminders of that are very appealing to us because it means that we're not victims of a world that we have no control over. And once we really begin to, to access and embrace the science that's reminding us of that, that's a game changer. It changes everything. It helps us to become, again, better people, create stronger families, better societies. Less fear means less conflict. And I think we all would like to see that in the world today. So ultimately, uh, the better we know ourselves, the, the, the healthier we can embrace the change in the world around us. And um, you know, I, I don't think we could ask for anything more right now. The book is The Wisdom Codes, Ancient Words to Rewire Our Brains and Heal Our Hearts. If you'd like to get more information about Greg and his work, you can visit gregbraden.com. That's G-R-E-G-G, gregbraden.com. Greg, thank you so much for coming back on the show. You know, you, you've used the word powerful often in this conversation, and, and it's really the best word that can describe what you're doing. It is powerful and life-changing. And so I hope everyone will get a copy of The Wisdom Codes. Oh, Joan, thank you so much. It's always an honor to come back. I look forward to our next. And I just want to take a moment just to thank you for being such a powerful hub for your community, a place where people can go for new ideas that are very different maybe than what they're seeing in, you know, in, in other forms of media. Uh, but they're important ideas to give us options in terms of how we think about ourselves and our lives. So thank you and, and your team and your community for, for all that you do, for, for all of us to, uh, to help make this world a much better place. Thank you, Greg. I really appreciate that. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. 
Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Lisa Luckett, a life coach, speaker, and CEO of Cosmina Enlightened Living, a brand of kindness. Lisa is the author of the book, The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Joan. Thank you so much for having me. Lisa, I have often heard you say that life prepares you for life. What do you mean by that, that life prepares us for life? Well, Joan, I believe that when we stand back from our lives a little bit and we see actually what we have been through, we can go back and track experiences that kind of built on each other. That, you know, when we've been given a fork in the road, we've chosen one or the other, and it was either the better or the less better decision of uh, choice. And we can look at that and see how it taught us. And then the next thing that comes up that resonates with that experience, we have a better idea of how to handle it. Do you think when we don't see the blessings in our experiences, do you think that keeps us stuck? Yes, I do. And I think that most of being stuck is all around fear. And, you know, fear and the unknown, uh, the evil we know is better than the evil we don't know. It's, It's more comfortable to stay in that place rather than risk and step out into what is uncomfortable. We have just not been taught. We've just not been explained in this way of how to actually go and look at our life experience as the lessons that they are to teach us to do the next part better. I know in my own life, Lisa, that's what happened to me. You mentioned a fork in the road. And I feel like that's where I was. I I was at this point where the way I describe it, I could go in one direction and stay stuck and stay living in fear and, and, and really not moving forward, or I could go in a different direction and take the experiences and the and the lessons that were presented and do something with it, heal and, and move forward. Is that what happened to you in your life? Yes. And one of the things and what comes to mind when you said that, I, I'd actually like to ask you, what was the motivation within you to take the fork in the road to move forward? I honestly could not stand being in that place anymore. I was so unhappy and I spent so much time miserable and crying that I I said to myself, this is not the life I want to be living. And, you know, I made the decision that I wanted to change it. At that time, I had no idea how, but it really was when I could no longer stand the status quo, I decided to do something about it. Makes perfect sense, right? You, You just can only take it for so long and then something has to shift. Well, what about that was part of your intuition. What helped get you up off the floor and make that change? Well, you know, for me, it was actually gaining the realization that I had that power. Up until that point, I felt powerless. I felt like there was nothing I could do. And simply making the decision, it was the decision that made me feel powerful because it was the first thing that I felt I had control over. So I could decide to heal. And that was really enough to keep me going a little longer. It was day by day. And then I started to find things that I was thankful for, the blessings. And and it really were just these, these little shifts that at the time, you don't see them happening. But when you put them all together, you realize you're rewriting a new story. That could not have been said better. I think that the point is that we are all facing small to large experiences. We are faced with an unknown. And is your, in your point, you could only torture yourself for so long until that wears out. It runs out of time. And then you have an opportunity to stand back up and say, you know, what does it mean to take the next step? And when you take that next step, what have you done for yourself in the past that has gotten you through the difficulties? And so part of getting unstuck is just shifting and saying, wait, how can I look at this differently? 
what have I lived through? What have I done well? What did I not do well? And what would I do differently? And how can I apply that to the situation now? And give yourself a lot of credit for the things you have done well. Give yourself a lot of credit for what you have already survived. Because I promise you, it's in that credit that the wisdom lies that can help give you that confidence to step forward in this in this new way or in this new situation. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Lisa and her work, you can visit lisaluckett.com. Or as always, to hear more from Lisa, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Lisa. We'll be right back. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. We have great wisdom inside of us that is there to guide us, but because it's something we can't see, we often think it doesn't exist or doesn't matter, and therefore we dismiss it, believing our feelings are irrelevant. According to today's guest, Sonia Choquette, nothing can be further from the truth. Sonia believes that trusting your vibes is the key to life. She joins us today to talk about ways we can shift into a positive, happier life experience. She's the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Answer is Simple. Welcome, Sonia. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure, John. I'm delighted. Thank you. So, Sonia, you say that the key to life is to trust our vibes. How do you describe intuition? I describe intuition as the kind of internal satellite of informing information that rises up to our awareness from our heart and it gets our attention through our other senses so we might get a vision or we might hear an inner inner voice or you might have a feeling or it might be a, a, a number of of those experiences combined but it is the the kind of guiding compass that that picks up on a range beyond our five senses and also speaks to us from an inner self that is trying to keep us on track and in alignment with who we are. So it's a whole constellation of energies that give us information so that we make the best, most authentic decisions for who we are throughout our life. Sonia, I personally am trying to rely more and more on my intuition, and I agree with everything that you just said. But how do we know if it's true guidance coming from our inner wisdom, or if it's just wishful thinking or even fearful thinking? Well, the way that we know is that true guidance has a particular signature. It has a feeling to it that is very different from wishful thinking and fearful thinking. If it's real guidance, we physically feel more expanded. We physically feel more at ease. It's the, it's the proverbial, ah. If it's fearful thinking or wishful thinking, there is a contraction that happens internally. There is a, an attendant anxiety and a breathlessness that doesn't go away. So if we're listening, and, and you know, it's interesting. I can walk you through an actual experience where you can experience this and the listeners can hear Okay. Versus me just explaining it, if you're up for it. Yeah, that would be great. So, okay, because I think it's better to demonstrate versus just talk about it. So what I need is to ask you, is there a question in your own life, a genuine question that you'd be willing to share with us to go through this exercise? Yeah, I would. So um, great. What, what I would say, uh, this is something that I'm always asking myself, and it has to do with my work. Am I on the right path? Is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Okay. So here's a very wonderful, quick check-in on that. I'm going to walk you through several steps, and each matters. The first step is to look around the room and notice one or two physical things that you can share with us. Okay. So I'm looking at the computer that's in the studio Mm -hmm. and the microphone. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Now, the reason I do this is what happens is it brings your attention to your body in the present moment. That's a big, important piece. Next thing I'm going to do is ask you to just take a breath into your body and just be aware of the energy you're holding on to right now. Don't have to get involved with it and just exhale like you're blowing out birthday candles and let it go. 
before we check in with our intuition. So you just blow it out like this. So you take one more breath in slowly, and then to the center of your heart, let out a big ah. And that we're going to ask you to imagine that that is like a satellite of light that is expanding above and below your heart, front and back, side to side, and beyond the edges of your body, giving you a little bit more space internally, a little more room to breathe. Now you ask the question, but we're going to ask two parts of you. Am I on the right path? Fill in the blank. Out loud. My head says. Yes. Okay, and anything else your head wants to add? Just I keep getting the thought that I'm, do- I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be. Okay, perfect. And feel your body just for a minute. Now, the next breath, we're going to go into your heart space. And my heart says. Yes. And again, let's ask your heart. My heart says. Yes. And the third time. Yes. Now, what is the nature of that yes? How does that second heart yes feel? as opposed to the first one. It felt softer. And what was interesting is physically, my head was starting to tilt toward the microphone. It yeah, felt soft. And open. It was, mo- it was an opening. Your voice sounded different. Your heart sounded very different. And this, in, in the soft, I'm going to ask you one more question. Is it true? Yes. See, there's a, there's a certainty there. There's no wishful thinking. There's no questioning. So I'm really grateful that you were willing to walk us through with this. And people could hear the difference, but we could also feel your smile. And the key is this doesn't work if you think. You actually have to speak out loud. You hear the, the voice of your mind is aligned with your heart. Absolutely. It was clear and yes. But when your heart spoke, it was an expansive yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely yes. A grow, an expanding yes, and a smiling yes. And I felt it's a, a peace that came over me because my problem, Sonia, is I'm very much in my head, and I'm mm-hmm. learning now to trust what I'm feeling, and I'm trying to get out of my head more and more. And I, and I think a lot of people are are trying to do that these days. That's why this tool is perfect for that. So. To accomplish this, you you just brought us through an exercise. Are there other things that we can do to develop our intuitive abilities? Yes. The first thing is, Joan, don't ask questions we're not truly interested in receiving guidance to. And this is a very important thing. Many times we are so invested in wanting it to be this way or wanting it to be that way that we tune our intuition out. We say we want guidance, but not really. What we want is what we want. So that's key. Don't ask a question unless you're truly neutral and available to guidance. And that's huge. It is because exactly what you just described is what so many of us do. We, We say we want the answer, but we, you know, our behavior or our actions show that we didn't. And that's when we get ourselves into trouble sometimes. Exactly. So when I work with people, whether I'm teaching intuition or working with them, I will say, when I hear a question, I can tell if that is a truly available question. So I will say, what's your real question? Where do you believe this intuitive guidance comes from? What is the source of it? It comes from your spirit, which inhabits your body. Your brain is developed much later than your heart. Your heart doesn't start to beat until the spirit connects. And when the spirit disconnects, the heart stops beating. So the spirit in you is the consciousness in you that is connected to the quantum field. The brain is not wired as fully as the heart brain. Cerebral brain is limited. Now they're discovering that the heart actually can receive information and convey it in a much higher degree than the brain in your head. So I believe your 
spirit is communicating to you through the heart. The heart then uses the spinal cord and the nervous system to engage the, 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 the cerebral brain, the senses, the gut, and the whole, the rest of the physical body to get the information registered, but it is received and conveyed from the spirit of you, who, and, who you really are. And so is the information that comes from the heart, that is always for our greater good? Always for our greater good and the greater good of all concerned. It might be to the disappointment of someone's ego, right? but the greater good of their growth and your growth as individual spirits on your path. What the intuition will never say hurts someone. Your intuition will never say um, trick someone. Your ego might. And your ego might say back to your intuition, oh, that will hurt that person. We have to be careful about what the word hurt means. It might hurt their ego. It might disappoint their ego. But it won't hurt their spirit. It won't hurt their soul. And isn't another way to really tune into your intuition is to check in what's happening to your body physically? I know sometimes always if you get that knot in your stomach or if you just have that sick feeling, mm-hmm. you know it isn't the right thing to do. And you know what I say? It is always telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Your body tells the truth. Your intuition moves throughout your body. It gives you a sense in your heart, in your gut, in your chest, in your throat, the hairs on your arms, the neck, you know, the hairs on the back of your neck, the tightness in the jaw. Always it means something is awry. And you know that feeling when you did this exercise and you opened and ah and smiled? Right. It's harmonious energy. The energy is harmonious throughout your body. And it's true because I did when when I... The, the last time when I smiled, I actually felt my body relax. And you don't mm-hmm. get that feeling when you're in your head. Because when you're in your head, you're, you're fearful. You are. You're defended, you're fearful, and you're isolated. You're not connected to the quantum field. You're disconnected. Mm-hmm. And when you work in the heart and you work with the, the intuition, you connect. And when you, you connect, connect, you're in so the flow. You, you're in the flow and things go easily. Mm-hmm. So. That's why I like to make these super simple tools. You have a direct experience instead of having to believe me. Here's a simple tool to have your own experience. And then you can use your own experience as your compass, not my information, which will encourage you, but your own experience will teach you. And also, when you look within and you trust yourself and you learn to trust your wisdom and your knowledge. I think then we would stop looking externally for validation and for completion. Would you agree with that? Do you think that we are then able to be stronger? I think when we trust our our own, our spirit, a couple things happen. We free ourselves from the addiction of approval. So we're allowed to withstand other people's discomfort as we, as we live our authentic path, but we also allow other people to be more who they are. It's like, well, I guess, you know, when people say to me all the time, I don't believe in intuition, I am not threatened. It's like, well, I guess I'm not for you then. I guess what I'm saying doesn't, isn't not for you, and it's okay. That doesn't make me doubt myself. Right. And those people then get more curious. Instead of having the battle, they're given an invitation to be right where they are. And then we'll, they'll say, well, wait a minute, tell me more instead of let me fight with you. So it actually improves all of your relationships, even with people who are not yet interested or curious enough to start connecting to their own intuition. And so it allows your relationships to be more at ease. And then when we're more at ease and we're more connected, we have more balance in our life, which then leads to more inner peace. And it leads to more creativity. We are more available to inspiration, good ideas, new things, new information. We're more available to be more creative. And we are generally absolutely happier with all of that. When we allow ourselves that that open, expanded, non-threatened way of being, everything improves. 
Would you believe that, or would you go so far as to say that everything we've been talking about today is a great way to reduce the stress that everyone is feeling? Well, I would say it's not even believe we observed it. Your your stress relieved itself. You opened up. You smiled. You let relax. That's relief of stress. The mind stresses us out. The heart and the inner guidance relaxes us. Sonia, where can our listeners go to get more information about your work? Well, I'd love to invite them to come to my website, Sonia Choquette. I'll spell it. It's it's a bit different. S O N I A C H O Q U E T T E dot net. And I have a lot more of these free tools available and some blogs and some videos that will give you more stuff to work with. And it's it's a place where you can have a lot of fun. So once again, that is SoniaChoquette.net. Sonia, in our final moments, what is the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I'd like everybody to know that you actually have six senses. They do work. The six senses, your heart, it's a, high, it's a hard-wired, conscious, reliable inner compass. And with just a little bit of awareness and a little bit of practice and working with it, you'll have enough result to trust yourself. And that's when your life starts to work. Sonia, thank you so much for joining us and for teaching us ways that we can tap into the wisdom that we have within. As I said, I've been working on developing my intuitive muscle, and I know that when I listen to my intuition, I make better decisions. And you certainly proved that today in the exercise. I could feel the shift in my, in my mind, in my heart, and in my body. So thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure. All my love. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. What is sound healing? Hi, I'm Allison Ayati. I'm a sound therapist and the owner of Awakened Sound Health, a meditation and sound healing studio located in Chester, New Jersey. Sound healing is both an ancient and modern art. The Australian Aboriginal people have been using musical instruments to heal for at least 40,000 years. There is anecdotal evidence that ancient Egyptian priests would sing a series of vowel sounds during healing rituals. In ancient Greece, Pythagoras and his followers used the flute and lyre to create healing music that Pythagoras referred to as musical medicine. Medieval Islamic physicians also incorporated music into their healing practices. Modern-day sound healers study a broad range of methods, theories, esoteric principles, cultural traditions, and even modern music theory. Modern-day practitioners also play a broad range of instruments, including drums, gongs, Himalayan bowls, crystal singing bowls, monochords, harps, flutes, guitars, and so much more. When you participate in a sound healing session, the most common response is relaxation and meditation. Many people also experience a reduction in anxiety and stress, and some experience a reduction in pain and inflammation. A sound healing session can leave you feeling lighter, more energized, and peaceful. Is it time for you to try sound healing? Begin your journey to sound health at awakensoundhealth.com. Sound therapy is not a replacement for medical or psychological intervention. Are you looking to start making smarter decisions with your money, but are unsure of what your first step should be? Hi, my name's Kay Toby, financial services professional with the Fortis Agency. I'm here to share some tips that I suggest to my own clients on how to start becoming more financially responsible. Number one, use a monthly budget sheet. Creating a budget sheet that lists your expenses each month will provide you with an idea of exactly what you're spending money on. This will help you realize where you may be able to cut back on costs that are not truly essential. Number two, map out your financial goals. Taking the time to figure out your goals for the short term, midterm, and long term will help you realize what vehicles you should be saving into. Consider including large financial decisions such as paying for a wedding, purchasing a home, and retirement. Number three, improve your credit score. Paying your credit card bill on time is crucial to raising your credit score and giving you more financial flexibility in the future. For more information on becoming financially responsible, send me an email at ktoby at theforestagency.com. The trick is to enjoy life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones ahead. I recently stumbled upon this quote by Marjorie Pay Hinckley. Marjorie's words got me to thinking about my life and how I've rushed most of it away, not being fully present or savoring the joy of any moment. 
Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones. When I was a teenager, I couldn't wait to grow up so I could drink or go to college or even get married. When my children were infants and toddlers, I muddled through most days in anticipation of the evening when they would go to sleep, and I thought about when they would be older and more self-sufficient. When I was the caregiver for my parents, I struggled through those years frazzled and exhausted. When I held job positions that were unfulfilling, I wished for the day that I would find employment that made me happy. Looking back, I can't recall one period in my life in which I wasn't looking ahead to something different or better. The sad thing is that it took tremendous loss to wake me up. The loss of my marriage, the deaths of my parents and siblings, my children growing up and moving on with their lives. Now, I strive to live in the present moment. All those quotes about leaving the past behind and not worrying about the future are so true. When you live in the past or try to anticipate the future, you miss the here and now. So what can you do? When you're dealing with a challenge, look for the positive and learn from the experience. If you're caring for a sick loved one, treasure every minute because I promise you one day you would give anything to nurse that person again. If your children are driving you crazy, remember that sooner than you'll like, they will be moving out and starting their own lives. All the seemingly insignificant moments, both good and bad, are as Paul Anka said, the times of your life. Enjoy them all. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.